Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. It's the podcast where I sit down with an extraordinary person and they share their story. They might have overcome something amazing or they might still be on their own journeys. With stories that will make you laugh, cry and hopefully leave you feeling a little bit inspired. My guest today is one of the biggest breakout stars of 2020. Having devoted her life to Big Cat Rescue Animal Sanctuary, Carol Baskin suddenly found herself at the centre of a cultural phenomenon of the year, when during the first lockdown we distracted ourselves from the global pandemic with the world of Big Cat conservationists. Watched by 64 million people within the first month of its release, Tiger King turned Carol into an international household name. You may be wondering how she coped with it all, but Carol Baskin is made of resilience. She endured sexual abuse as a teen, dealt with two turbulent marriages, and later faced constant public attacks from Tiger King co-star Joe Exotic, culminating in him being convicted of trying to have her killed. She's come out the other side though. Joe is now serving time in jail, whilst his zoo has been handed over to Carol. If this podcast is all about people who've lived extraordinary lives, this lady certainly fits the brief. I'm very excited to say that I'm now joined by Carol Baskin. Hello. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. It's so nice to be with you, Katie. Oh, it's so great to, to finally have you here and connect with you all the way from Tampa, where you are now. Um, my first question to you, um, you know, we're all so curious about you, is what is a typical day like in the life of Carol Baskin? You know, I think I, I love my job because of the fact that there is no typical day. But um, on any given day, it usually starts about seven o'clock in the morning. I go to my office that you see behind me here in my home. And while I'm having my morning cup of coffee, I'm answering 200 emails that have come in the night before. And that was before Tiger King. After Tiger King, that number was just ridiculous (laughs) and still is. But I was used to about 200 emails a day. And then I'll get a call from somebody saying that a bobcat has been hit by a car on the other side of the state. And so it means rallying the troops, grabbing everybody we can, jumping in the van, running over there, trying to find the bobcat, chasing it through the woods. Because even, man, I mean, bobcats are so tough. And when they get hit by a car, they still can outrun you. Wow. (laughs) So it's usually a pretty long, hard chase to actually capture them and get them back to the vet. 
And so my phone is just constantly, in fact, I've turned the sound off for this interview because it's just <laughs> constantly ringing and pinging and this people time coming out. back and forth. <laughs> yes. So all of that craziness will be going on. And then during the course of the day, we'll be working on our federal bill to try and ban the cupheading and the private possession of big cats. I'll be contacting members of Congress, trying to get all of our people to contact their members of Congress, looking for ways to lead by example. So in the past year, we started doing augmented reality zoos and created a virtual reality game that you put a headset on to oh, play wow. the game where the cats are all um, digital. They're not real cats. Mm. And so we felt like this would be a great way of inspiring zoos not to have cats in cages, but rather to do these location-based experiences. And then I like, when I can, when the days are longer, at the end of the day to go out, maybe do a live walkabout on Facebook for our fans. We have about, I think there's something like 3.5 million people that follow us on Facebook. That's incredible. And yeah. It, and they're wonderful. And so we talk to the cats and answer their questions and do all of that kind of stuff. And then I get on my bike and I ride home. <laughs> it's a long day. Yeah. And it's seven days a week. I, we've, I've always worked seven days a week. Mm. How has the business coped in lockdown? You know, we're, we're going through this global pandemic. Has it affected your business? On March the 15th of 2020, we shuttered our gates to visitors because of the COVID threat. And then on March 20th, five days later, Tiger King came out and brought every crazy you can possibly imagine, threatening to kill me, threatening to burn the place to the ground, threatening to kill the cats. And so we had a double reason not to have the gates open. And still COVID is just raging out there and worse than ever. So there's no end in sight to be able to open the gates. Mm. But we have to raise three and a half to four million dollars a year to take care of our cats. And that was over a million dollars worth of our revenue just gone. Wow. <laughs> and so I had to let go half of my staff. My husband and I didn't take a paycheck for the first eight months after that. Mm. And we're finally back to where we can actually take a paycheck. I just see him coming in the back. <laughs> Sounds like it's been an incredibly tough year for you both. Um, you mentioned Tiger King there. I watched it. And one of the things that I took from it was it's a very male dominated industry. Um, and I wondered as a woman, what is it like to, to be a female in this industry? You know, I think one of the things Tiger King did was it made it look like it is an industry where we're all in the same uh, we're all doing the same work. And actually, nothing could be further from the truth. You have a, as you mentioned, a very predominantly male industry of people who breed tigers, exploit tigers, pimp the tigers out for photo ops, um, circus owners, all of those sorts of things. There've been a couple of women involved in that over the years, Kathy Stearns and Kay, Cl Kay Rosaire, but they're really in the minority. And then you have, on the other side of the coin, you have people who are operating sanctuaries that rescue animals from these horrible places. Mm -hmm. Those are almost always run by women. And I can only think of like one man that runs one and it's all women that are rescuing animals versus all these men that are abusing animals. But I think Tiger King tried very hard to make it look like sanctuaries and zoos were the same when we are so opposite. Mm -hmm. Sanctuaries by definition, do not buy, breed, sell, allow public contact, or take the animals off-site for like rodeos and stuff like that. Whereas zoos do all of those things. And so we're philosophically at opposite ends of the spectrum. 
It must have been incredibly frustrating for you because obviously like the narrative that we've been fed and what we saw when it was edited, it sounds like it's different to the, the reality of what your business really is. That's true. And it was done in such a deceptful, deceitful way. Mm. They would ask me a question. And sometimes they'd ask me that question like five different ways and I'd answer them five different ways, but you know, the same answer, but I didn't understand why they were doing it. Well, when I saw Tiger King, what I saw was they would ask one question and then they'd use my answer from something totally different to answer that question, to make it look like I had said something just totally cruel or inappropriate. And there's just nothing more deceitful than that in calling yourself a documentary. Yeah. I mean, I wondered that after after watching it and, and reading up about you, I thought, I wonder how they sold this show to Carol to get her to participate, because I don't think they sold it in the way that it ended up being portrayed to us. Absolutely not. When they came to us five years before Tiger King came out, they came to us and said what they were working on was the Blackfish for Big Cats. Did you guys <laughs> see Blackfish over there? Yeah. we we. I mean, it's incredibly moving, sad touching documentary that everyone's seen here. Yeah. And it's so important because it changed people's minds. It showed the abuse behind keeping orcas in concrete pools and people wouldn't stand for it. And so we were all on board with being involved in a show that would show all of the abuse that these big cats suffer. And so every time they called us up over that five-year period, we were like, sure, come on out. Mm. We were happy to tell them about all of the abusers and who they were and how they can find them and how to, you know, the kinds of questions to ask them to get to the bottom of things because so many of them are such good con artists that they say, oh, this is all about conservation and you have to make people care about the animals by letting them touch the animals. And so, you know, telling them, well, ask them where the studies are that prove that or ask them how much money they actually spend on conservation efforts or, you know, those kinds of things, which none of that appeared in Tiger King, as you know, but mm. we thought we were educating them to ask the right questions. It's incredibly disappointing. And like you said, really to, to be deceived, to take part in something that you're quite passionate about. Um, did you even know that Joe Exotic was going to be in the program then? Was that something you weren't aware of as well? Well, they had asked me questions about him and I would ask and my husband would ask, why are you asking those kinds of questions? You know, they would try to get me to say something mean about him, which I never would. I've never had a conversation with Joe. There was no feud. I didn't mm -hmm. know they were trying to paint a feud. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have known what they were up to. But, mm -hmm. you know, the kinds of things that they were asking me, we would say, that's really not important. The bigger issue is there's all these um, people that have all of these operations where they're breeding hundreds of these cubs that are ending up being discarded and that's growing the market for their parts in the illegal trade and that's causing the extinction of the wild. And they just come right back to Joe again. And so they said, well, you know, the reason we have to ask you this is because we call them the bad guys, because the bad guys, uh, the people who try to discredit me, the people who are doing all those things I just mentioned, they always bring up stuff about my husband disappearing. And they said, we just have to like, you know, answer that question and be done with it. But Joe's only going to be like a five minute piece in this. So I answered the questions. And then about a week before Tiger King came out, we started seeing the trailers on Netflix that this show was coming out called Tiger King. And it was all about Joe Exotic. And so we contacted the producers and we were like, who is working on a show about Joe Exotic? What What's going on there? Do you know anything about this? And they didn't want to talk about it anymore. And so wow. my husband, and, yeah, my husband and I sat down and binge watched it like everybody did. 
Yeah. And we could not believe that that was them and the result of that five years of what we thought was going to be so helpful to big cats. That makes me really angry. I mean, you were totally deceived. And, and to find out at the same time as the public as well, you know, that's like a, a violation, really. Um, for me, I, I, when I watched it, one of the things that came up to me that I wanted to talk to you about was female representation. You know, the way that you were treated on social media um, was very excessive. You know, after the program went out, you were kind of made out to be this like femme fatale character rather than a real person, a real person with real feelings. Um, do you feel like you had a harder time for being a woman? You know, the first articles that came out that said that this was such a um, obvious case of misogyny, I think it was Slate that came out with that. And I had to look up misogyny because I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> But I think once I read it, it was like, yeah, this certainly does look like that. And mm -hmm. it, it just seems so um, telling that they had all of these men lined up to say horrible things about me, men who didn't know anything about my relationship with Don. They didn't know us at the time. And yet they asked me a question, I'd answer it. And then they'd line up five of these guys that know nothing saying, oh yeah, we believe she killed her husband. Oh yeah, we believe. And it was just like, you know, this, barrage of these people saying this over and over again to make it seem like the majority felt that way mm. when they never interviewed anybody who would have had any real information about that or understanding of what was going on at the time. And so it, it really did strike me as being, uh, and, and I don't understand why, you know, I have been wrestling with this from the beginning because if Eric Good and Rebecca Chaiklin, the producers in Tiger King, if they never cared at all about animals, then the result that they came up with made sense. But they had so convinced me that they did care about animals. Mm -hmm. And yet they took the only person in their entire program who was actually trying to protect the animals and vilified me. So what would have been the point of that? And I just don't understand that. Well, this is what I couldn't understand when I was watching it. I thought there's so much attention placed on the disappearance of your husband, which you actually weren't even a suspect for. Um, and there was arguably a lot less attention on the man who was convicted of actually trying to have you killed. You know, how do you process that? I don't know what to make of that because Eric Good and Rebecca were both at the trial. They actually saw the evidence being presented and yet they just kind of glossed over that in the their portrayal of who Joe was. And in some cases would actually, you know, trot out all of these people to say, oh, he was, you know, Joe would say he was set up and then they'd have all these other people say he was set up. And it was like, they were there. They saw the evidence. They heard the evidence just like everybody else did, just like the jury who made their decision in under four hours did. Yeah. And yet they chose not to present any of that evidence that would have so clearly painted him for the cruel person that he is. Mm. What was your motivation for taking part then? Did you did you want to change perception of, of you? I didn't know it was going to be about me. Right. I thought it was about the issues. And I just assumed because we were telling them, you know, here's all the people that we work with to protect these animals, all of these amazing 
scientists and PhDs and lobbyists and people who are working from, you know, uh, the International Fund of Animal Welfare and Born Free and the Humane Society of the United States and Animal Defenders International, all of these huge operations that have dedicated millions of dollars to protecting these animals. They didn't talk to any of them except for one person who I dearly love, Brittany Pete at PETA, and they gave mm. her like five minutes. And that was it. It's such a waste. It's such a missed opportunity. Do you, do you read stuff online? Like what, what do you think? I think there has been a shift. Um, mm -hmm. When my husband and I sat there and watched Tiger King, did you see the, um, I can't think of the name of it. I was trying to remember yesterday. There was a podcast that came out by Robert Moore that was on the same thing okay. about Tiger King. Mm -hmm. And it had come out in April before Tiger King had. And Rob Moore had done the podcast in a way that he said, I wanted to bring others on the journey that I went through. And he said, I met Joe. I thought he was so charismatic. He told me he was doing all this stuff for conservation. I started checking into things and he started, you know, saying all this stuff about Carol. And I started looking into that. And so he took the, the listener on this same journey that he had been on, where you think Joe's the good guy, I'm the bad guy. And then at the end, he says, but here's what I discovered along the way. And he brings out all of the evidence that showed exactly the opposite was true. So mm -hmm. when we binge watch Tiger King, we thought they're following that same format. They're just going to, mm -hmm. at the end, they're going to say, it turns out all of this was a lie. And they never did. And so when we, when we finished it, my husband and I just sat there gobsmacked and we looked at each other and said, well, that was a missed opportunity. And, you know, speaking about the tiger issue, not about me, because I didn't think even after seeing it, I didn't think it was so much about me as I'm thinking this was not blackfish. That's what I'm sitting there being mad about. Yeah. And my phone started ringing and it rang every two minutes around the clock for three months straight with people just screaming obscenities at me. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I have I have a three hour piece I can send you of just the the first three hours that I recorded of that. <laughs> it was just awful. I mean I had it on YouTube and they made me take it down. It was that bad. Yeah. But we were just so so betrayed and so you know feeling like traumatic. I'm never talking to anybody in the media again. <laughs> yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've been in quite an, you've been, your trust has been abused, essentially, you know, and it's kind of gone viral, it's gone global. I mean, the, the, one of the things that I, I do admire about you is, you know, it's, I was going to call it a media storm, but actually, it's beyond that, you know, if people are ringing up and turning up and, and, and threatening and abusing you, like, you know, in any other capacity, if a woman was going through this, we would be absolutely outraged. But what seems for me, um, so different is you have remained quite positive. You seem fairly zen and dare I say you seem quite happy. You know, how is it that you have on the face of it seem to remain positive? And am I in fact wrong? Is it just on the exterior that you've remained positive and are you really suffering? Well, thank you for asking. Actually, I think it's because and I get asked this question a lot, you know, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with people wanting to kill you? And I think it's because for most people in March of 2020, it was the first time they heard about this. Whereas in my life, I've been dealing with these people trying to kill me since like 1998. I started really fighting hard for laws that would ban the private possession of big cats in 1998. 
And we had some success in 2003 when we passed the big, uh, the uh, Captive Wildlife Safety Act. So that made it illegal to sell a big cat across state lines as a pet, but there were still loopholes and that's what we're still trying to close are those loopholes. But I have been attacked uh, on phone, on phone by Dennis Hill, who was in Tiger King as far back as the nineties. There is a man who lives here locally, Vernon Yates, who has actually physically attacked me twice when I have been out speaking at the Florida Wildlife Commission hearings, sometimes they have stakeholder hearings and I go to speak against abusing big cats. And so the people who show up for those hearings are the people that are circus owners and um, mm. exploiters. And so they don't want me to speak and they do everything they can to intimidate me so that I won't come into the building. He ran up behind me and tried to hit me over the head. And one of my little tiny volunteers saw what was happening and ran in between us and knocked her to the ground instead. And actually a guy from the circus then started fighting with him on the ground so that we could get out of there. And then that same guy, Vernon Yates, had run up behind me as I was trying to go into one of the meeting halls and was reaching to grab me by the hair just as I cleared the room. And so we kind of bust into the room in this, you know, free for all and law enforcement mm -hmm. would never do anything about it. And so Joe with his little... Why? But why? Why wouldn't the law enforcement protect you? I think it was because I was mostly dealing with wildlife issues. And the people I'm dealing with are government officials who, you know, especially at the state level, they're hunters. They kill animals for fun. They, they maim them for mm -hmm. fun. And they don't care about somebody like me. In fact, they don't want somebody like me showing up and speaking up for the animals. So if they can let the bad guys push me away, then all the power to them. And so with Joe and his little internet show, since like, I think it was 2004, was the first time he came up on my radar. And I didn't say anything about him. There was a news article. The reporter asked me what I thought about this place that was calling itself a sanctuary, but was breeding big cats. And I said, well, real sanctuaries don't breed big cats. And Joe just had a fit over that and started, you know, like every day trashing me online and telling people they needed to break me. They needed to break my legs. They needed to put a bullet in my head to stop me. And he couldn't get anybody to do it. And so by like 2015 is when I started getting calls from people who said, Joe just offered me $5,000 to come kill you. Joe just offered my husband $10,000 to come kill you. I think you ought to know this. And so we would turn it over to law enforcement who again, absolutely ignored me. And it wasn't until the FBI stumbled upon that call with the guy that was trafficking in lemurs who thought he had been caught for the murder for hire plot when he had really just been caught for having a lemur, but he spilled his guts. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, there really are people trying to kill her. And so that was when they got the FBI agent into the middle so that Joe would hire him. And that's how they managed to convict him. But this has been going on for my whole life. So it's not my whole life, but mm. for the last 20 some odd years. So it just, it doesn't, I, I've come to peace with it. It's like, if I'm going to do this work, it's it just comes normal. with the job. <laughs> Yeah, but it's not good. You know, we, we, a lot of us this year have been talking about mental health and to live in a constant state of threat like that, you know, that fight or flight, it must be terrible for your anxiety levels and your nerves. I mean, can you ever properly relax? Has it affected your mental health? You know, I really worry about it 
because of the fact that it is like this constant um, thing right under the surface. And I never know when somebody is running up to me, whether they are a friend or foe. And it's turned out that everybody who has ever run up on me in public, other than Vernon Yates and Alan Rickerman was another one that attacked me at one of those meetings, but everybody else, when they come up, they're just, they love big cat rescue. They want to talk about the cats. They've seen mm-hmm. something on TV or YouTube or, you know, something that they want to talk about cats with me. But every single time they do, I feel myself brace for, am I going to have to fight for my life here? And so a Mm. recent um, example of that was I'm standing there pumping gas and there's this guy that's coming across the parking lot toward me and he's saying how much he loves Big Cat Rescue and he just wants to talk. And it's like, if he were a hitman, that's exactly what I'd be saying if I were him to get close enough. And so as he's coming that's in on true. me, I'm like, should I just pull this out and hose him down with gasoline? And I could have done that to somebody yeah. perfectly innocent. And so it scares mm-hmm. me that I'm in a position of having to constantly be ready to hurt somebody else because I think they're coming to mm. hurt me. Yeah. It almost alters your personality having to live on the defensive when you're not necessarily that kind of person. Yeah. That, I don't think that comes natural. Yeah, no, it, not not to a normal person. I wondered... Um, <laughs> well, we've established it now. I am not a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> You're an extraordinary person. <laughs> um, I was thinking about like when I faced tough times, faith was something that really helped me. For me, I have a, a Christian faith. And when I've watched things about you, I feel like you seem very chilled. You seem almost spiritual. And I wondered if you had any kind of faith yourself. I was raised in a fundamental Christian family, but over the years, I think the God that I believe in is so much more powerful, more loving, more amazing than the petty, jealous God that's described in the Bible. So I've found it hard to stick with traditional beliefs about that, but I do believe that we are eternal And I believe that we are all here for a bigger purpose than what what we think we're here for. I I happen to believe in reincarnation, which may not gel with your Christian beliefs, but it just seems like there's too many times where I've met somebody and thought, I have known you for eons. (laughs) And I I had a cat that way. First time I saw this cat, I walked up to him and I said, I haven't seen you since Babylon. And then everybody looks at me like, what? <laughs> but, but there's so many examples of that that it just makes me believe that we go back into the ether and that veil comes off and we're like, oh my gosh, I thought that was real. <laughs> Look at the mess that's still down there. I'm going back in and see what I can do. And we just keep doing that yeah. over and over again. But once we come here, I think we are kind of veiled and we forget who we really are and how amazing we are, that we are that creative force. So that's why I'd have no hard feelings against any of these people that have done horrible things. I feel like we're all on a evolutionary path. We're just on different points along the path and given enough laps around the sun or laps around the universe, we'll all get it. Mm, it's it's lovely to hear you you just don't come across as bitter at all. You come across as very at peace with life and everything that's happened and When uh, Trump's presidency was ending, I wondered how you were feeling because, you know, Joe was campaigning so hard to get pardoned. It didn't happen. And I just wondered if you ever thought that it might happen. You know, was that a stressful time for you? 
I found myself, I, I heard somebody say this the other day, doom scrolling, <laughs> like constantly rechecking email and constantly rechecking to see, you know, was he out of office yet? Um, <laughs> but I did it because I felt like I just couldn't be sure whether or not there really was any chance of him even being aware of Joe's pardon or if it was just the mm. media making so much hullabaloo over it. And so I was looking for any evidence that would tell me I really needed to be worried and kept telling myself that there really wasn't any reason to worry that it was just media having a field day and that this whole thing would pass. But I found myself really being not at peace during those last few days. Yeah. And then when January 6th happened, I was a registered Republican my whole life. And when that happened, I thought, I can't be associated with any political party that could say that's okay on any level. And so I changed my political party to non-affiliated on that very day. Wow. I, but I, I can completely understand why you feel like that. When you were scrolling and, and looking at things, did you see the limousine that Joe had booked to pick him up? I did. That's pretty arrogant, do you think? Well, I think it was more the person that um, Eric Love, I think he had really taken this on as a publicity stunt for himself. Uh -huh. And I felt like in a lot of ways, the people who were in Tiger King, I felt were actually exploited by the producers of Tiger King. And then the people since then who have done different shows and such, I feel like they have exploited Don's children and his his ex-wife. I think that they have put them into mm. the position of saying things that they otherwise would never have said on television or may not have actually said, given the way I know I was edited. <laughs> um, yeah. But they were doing it for effect. And one example of uh -huh. that was the whole thing between me and Cardi B about her rap song. The media right. had asked me, you know, what did I want to say to her? And I said, well, I don't have any reason to say anything to her. And they were like, you know, really pressing. And I said, well, you know, I, I was glad she didn't use any real cats in her in her video. I would not have put CGI cats in there making it look like people were touching them because that sends the wrong message. Well, that got turned into this huge fight that me and Cardi B were having and we were not having anything of the such. So it just, the whole media thing has just been so revealing. <laughs> I, had, I didn't believe uh, the media uh. prior. I never read the newspapers or anything like that because I have been in the newspaper enough to know that they never get it right. So... Yeah. I really had that kind of skepticism, but after Tiger King and after the media firestorm that happened, I just, I don't believe anything that I see on TV or in print or podcasts or anything, unless it's like live and there's no editing going on. I mean, you experienced extreme manipulation, but aside from that though, there were some quite fun, positive, great opportunities. Like we got to watch you on Dancing with the Stars. You know, if I'd, if I'd have said to you this time last year, you know, this is what you're going to end up doing, what would you have said? I would have laughed in your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was raised in a family where we were not allowed to dance. It was considered a sin. And so I had never danced, never danced at our wedding, never danced and. So when they told me that they wanted me to be on the show, I had never actually even seen the show. And they said, I, I just guessed from the name, Dancing with the Stars, that they would pair me with some star. And I know it's really important when you're trying to get a federal bill passed to bring along some celebrity. 
And so I thought maybe I could yeah. meet a celebrity that I could drag to DC with me on this bill. And then found out that's not quite how that worked. But then I thought, well, there's other stars that are actually there. So maybe I can get those people to come with me to DC and lobby. <laughs> so I had an agenda for doing it at all. And then they gave me so much publicity while I was there. It let me use the cat theme songs and the cat costumes and everything to keep people talking about the cats mm. and the issues that I felt were the important thing. The ones that were really, really the victims of Tiger King was the cats. Their story did not get mm. told, and I wanted to be sure that it was. Mm. I did wonder because it was obviously not in your eyes; it wasn't a success because, like you said, of this this misrepresentation. But for the people like the producers, you know, I think it was like sixty four million people watched it. Surely they are desperate to get you involved to make a part two. They must want to continue doing this because it's been so lucrative for them. Well, they did reach out and I told them to lose my number. So they tried my husband and my husband <laughs> said that he would wait and see what they did with Tiger King 2 to see whether or not they redeemed themselves because they absolutely knew the things they had said about me were lies. And I know they knew they were lies because when they asked things about the conservatorship and how the estate was settled and all of that, I gave them access to all of those records. They just chose not to put any of that in there. Mm. What about a uh, Tiger King? queen spin-off if you were more in control and you and you could have the the you know the promise that it would be the right narrative would you consider that during that whole five years that we were working with them we were working with all kinds of other companies as well and so there was another one that we worked with for five years and they finally got their product to market called hidden tiger last month and if you go to bigcatrescue.org hidden it's one of those where you have to rent it for like four dollars and 95 cents but um, they're trying to get it out on some other platforms where it will be free and get better um, debt adoption. But that program is the Blackfish for Big Cat, the Hidden Tiger right. was. And we've worked with a number of other operations. Some of them have finished the product. Some are just like ready to launch it, but looking for a buyer. Others are still in the process of creation. So I'm sure that this story will get out there. We actually have been approached about doing our own series. And the whole premise of the series will be to expose the abuse that these cats um, suffer at the hands of their owners and how we bring that to the public's attention, which is why I'm so hated, and why we, how we bring that to authorities and just keep the fire under them until they actually take action. It's been so hard to get USDA to do anything to enforce the Animal Welfare Act. You, you touched on something there. You, you said, oh, that's why I'm so hated. I don't think you're hated at all. I think there's a lot of... Oh, by the animal abusers, I am. Yeah, but not by every, not by the, the sane people. <laughs> you know, like there was, a lot, there was a lot of women that watched Tiger King and you became this kind of phenomenon on social media and everywhere else because you were a strong woman, because you were this formidable character. I, You know, I think intelligent people don't well, hate you. you. You know, I think... Yeah. I mean, in a way, I wondered, actually, do you re do you regret Tiger King? Because, you know, you, your purpose in life is to bring attention to the causes that you're so passionate about. And what Tiger King did do is it, it brought a massive fan base. I hadn't thought of it as a fan base um, because I don't see the evidence of what you're talking about. It seems like most people, even if they do um, applaud the fact that I stand up to all of these men, they don't want to say it out loud. And I've had a number of people tell me this. They don't want to say it out loud because they don't want to be abused. Um, but 
if you ask me this question and you ask my husband this question, we both have different answers. I would absolutely do it again because I feel like everything happens for a reason. It's all happening for the betterment of all of us. It's all going to be better. Whereas my husband was just so outraged at the betrayal and the the increased threats that that brought against me and my family and the cats that he absolutely says he would not have done it if he had known it would turn out this way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, you hungry people. I bring news. Yes, season five of Out to Lunch with me, Jay Rayner, is upon us. The world may have been in meltdown, but I've been using my time wisely, sharing fabulous meals with fascinating people and asking them prying questions. As a long-serving restaurant critic, my theory has always been that the best interviews happen over food, and the proof is this podcast. In season five, you'll find me dining my guests in top restaurants or with lockdown-compliant takeaways over Zoom. People like Darren Brown. Well, I do like a Gruner Feltler. Does you do that by the glass? Yeah. Yes, we do. What would I like? What would you... <laughs> Don't start. Oh, do, I, do I have to guess? <laughs> Paloma Faith. I've also been told off for telling Samuel L. Jackson what to do. Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Just bring it all in. He's, he's shucking the oysters. He's somebody's shucking oysters. <laughs> The oysters are being shucked at the boot of the car, apparently. Noel Clark. So we have lobster miso. Oh my god. Oh my. <laughs> Philippa Perry. I always like a man in makeup because they're, they're improved by it, but I hate false boobs. Hate them. Tom Allen. I do know a bit about patissiere because I knew what a ganache was before any of my friends at school did, but then they were actually quite happily. Getting fingered. So <laughs> and more. So subscribe now in all the usual places. Episodes drop weekly from Tuesday, the twenty sixth of January, twenty twenty one. I mean, you were one of the most talked about people on the planet, really, in twenty twenty. We didn't have a lot to talk about in twenty twenty. We were all at home, and you know, I, that, I guess that didn't just change your life, but it would change anyone who was involved in your life, like like your husband as well. I think it really was hard, um, not only on my immediate family, but our volunteer force. We have we usually have anywhere from eighty eight to one hundred and ten volunteers that do all of the animal care at the sanctuary. And these had been people who were so proud to be part of Big Cat Rescue because everybody who knew them or knew about Big Cat Rescue knew what an amazing operation we were and how we were ending the problem and we were saving these cats and all of the rehab work that we do to put them back in the wild when that's possible. You can't do that with captive bred cats. They can't go free. 
But then to go from that to experiencing all of those same memes and conversations and everything that you're talking about people having seen, it was a horrible experience for those people who felt just crushed that anybody would think such horrible thoughts about a place that they knew to be so much better. Yeah, I suppose that's hard because they didn't really sign up for that. They didn't pursue that. And that's totally alien to what their world is and and their goals are. Um, which I guess is is difficult. In the in the intro of this episode, I talked about your life before the show, um, and you clearly have overcome so much. You know, especially with your past relationships. Am I am I right in in saying that you know you didn't particularly want to marry your first husband, Michael, but you you felt pressured as a young woman? That's correct. Um, I had actually left home at the age of 15 with a man that I referred to as my common law husband. So it always gets kind of confusing when people are like, your first husband, your second husband, your third husband. So that man's name was Jim Jones, and he was AWOL from the Army. Extremely abusive. Um, but then when I was 17, my I was still living on my own. And my mother, in a bit of uh, reverse psychology, because she had been to college and just had enough psychology to get us both in trouble, uh, she did not like the fact that I was seeing Mike Murdoch. And she felt like if she pressured me to marry him, that I would run. And she felt like it was better for me to run than end up with this person, because he was not a nice person. And Instead, I thought, you know, I put her through hell when I left at 15. It was because of misunderstanding she and I had. She didn't know where I was for the longest time. I can't even imagine now that I have a daughter how horrible that would have been for her. And so I felt like, well, this is some way that I can make up to my mother. I can do something to make her happy. I'll go ahead and marry this guy. But I did not want to marry Mike Murdoch. And I really did not want to have any children with Mike. And... It was just a horribly abusive relationship in Mm. one where I ended up getting pregnant and um, I actually even tried to have an abortion and couldn't get one because I was underage and had to have my husband's consent, which he was not about to give me because Mm. it was his way of ensuring that he could keep a hold over me. Control. Yeah. What year was this when this was happening? I was 17 in 1978. We got married when I was 17. Yeah, you were trapped basically then. He was controlling you. Yeah. Yeah, that's so hard. It's it's interesting because I relate to a lot of what you say and that, you know, when I was young, um, I was a prob- problematic teenager. I was always running away from home, you know, and I've, I've got daughters now. And when I look back on what I put my mum through, I couldn't cope if my daughters did that to me. Um, but, you know, you, you change, you get older and I'm now 37 and, I, you know, I was looking back at what happened to you when you were in your thirties, you, you know, it's really well documented that your second husband had a lot of affairs <laughs> And I'm married now. And I think how, how I don't know how I deal with that because as a woman, you know, although it's not our fault, you that affects your confidence, that affects your self-esteem. How did you deal with, with that in that marriage at yeah, that, that young was age? So bizarre. This, you're talking about Don. And so I met Don in 1981. And when I met him, he told me his name was Bob Martin and that he was just a poor lot boy that worked for this really evil guy, Don Lewis. So when I would go to the lot where he worked, We had a little trailer, a little RV in the back that we would meet in. 
And he'd tell me I'd have to hide under the dashboard as he drove me in and out of the lot because we were hiding from Don. Well, I didn't know for, I don't know, two or three years that we were hiding from Don's wife, not Don, and that Bob Martin was Don. And so I had, yeah. <laughs> I I'm shocked. And so by that time, you know, I met him when I was 19 and I was totally smitten with him. And now I'm in my early 20s and find out that he's married. But of course, you know, his wife doesn't understand him and, you know, all the lies men tell. And so it's very cliche. <laughs> But I was such an idiot and I had been raised in such a sheltered life. Oh my gosh, I was not ready for the world. Mm. Um, But at any rate, being that other woman and then finding out that he had other girlfriends during that period of time that we were seeing each other. And through all of the time that we started building the real estate business, we started that in 1984 And I had to stay in the background because I didn't want to break up his marriage with his wife. But he had another girlfriend, Pam, who really wanted to marry him and wanted to break that marriage up. So she was constantly doing things like leaving lipstick on his napkins in his lunchbox and stuff for his wife to find. And um, in 1990, and I knew about Pam, but... Don would tell me, you know, that he was seeing Pam or that he was wanting to uh, reconcile with his wife. And so during those periods of time, I would stay completely away from him and let him try to patch things up. What I didn't know was that he had all of these other girlfriends. I mean, it was, I learned in Tiger King that his wife said he had 23 other girlfriends. And I'm like, 23? <laughs> what? Who has that energy? And we were having sex like two and three times a day. Wow. When does he have time for this? When does he have enough stuff to do that? Yeah. I could not That's crazy. believe that he had that much going on. And, you know, maybe she's lying. I don't know. I, I think that she may not quite be all mentally there just from the way that I've seen her kind of respond to things. But um, mm. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I think she's just elderly and kind of forgetful. But Mm. at any rate, we had had this on-again, off-again relationship through all of these years. And then in 1989, he divorced Gladys because she said she wanted a million dollars and she wanted a quick divorce because she wanted to marry a man at her church. And so what we agreed to do was that he would do that financially with her and that we would wait a year and make sure she was really happy before we did anything as far as getting married. Well, what Mm. I didn't know was that year that he told me we were waiting, he was actually living with one of the other girlfriends. Um, (laughs) Not me. And so when he came to me in 1990, it was actually on Valentine's Day in 1990 that he moved into my house. And I thought, and he said that she had just thrown him out. And I thought, how cruel to throw somebody out on Valentine's Day. Well, it turns out it was his girlfriend who threw him out on Valentine's Day, not his wife. They were already done. Um, So we got married in 1991. And I really thought he was being faithful to me during that period of time. And there were so many reasons for me not to believe that, but I wanted to believe that he was faithful. Mm. So I wouldn't question him. And I've I've never been that way. I've never been jealous. I never asked, you know, he comes in 
six o'clock the next morning. He's been gone all night. I'm not going to ask him where he went because I don't want to be lied to. And I'd just rather not rock the boat and have to deal with wherever he's going to lie to me and say he was. Then I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Because maybe that's less painful sometimes, you know. I just didn't want to know. And then Mm. after he disappeared, I had hired a um, bounty hunter that actually knew him. And we had put up a $100,000 reward as soon as he went missing. And I offered that to the bounty hunter plus a uh, hourly stipend in case he didn't find him. You know, he couldn't be doing this for free. And um, the only thing he was supposed to find was just woman after woman after woman. And all of these people started calling me saying they were his children. And I knew he had had a vasectomy in 1984. So I was like, well, how old are you? because nobody else knew he had had a <laughs> And um, so there were some children that were legitimate, some that were not, that were not even, I mean, when I say legitimate, they weren't his wife's kids, but they were actually yeah. kids that he could have had during that period of time with all of these other people that I didn't even know about until he was gone. People are so focused on the disappearance of Don, but not actually how it's left you feeling. Because at the end of the day, whatever people accuse you of or say, your husband went missing out of your life. And I wondered if you've actually ever been able to get any closure on The closest I ever came to closure, he disappeared in 1997 and there was a conservatorship that was put in place for the next five years. And at the end of that period of time, um, the conservatorship ended by filing a death certificate. And when that death certificate arrived in the mail, it was like, Actually, I think the conservatorship ended in like the year 2001, the death certificate. I didn't see a copy of it until like 2002. But I remember I was actually sitting right here at this desk when I opened it and I looked out the window and it was the middle of the day and it was dark by the time I kind of came back (laughs) from wherever it was that I had gone. And then I just cried for days, probably two or three days. I just cried and cried, could not stop crying. And then it was like, okay, it's over. And it felt like that was the closest I'm probably ever going to get to any kind of closure on that. God, I would love to read a whole book about your life, you know, from like childhood to present day. What are your plans and your ambitions next? Is that something Actually, that you I would do? Actually, I have been doing that. I did it before Tiger King came out. Um, I have a YouTube channel where I've kept a diary my whole life. And I mean, <laughs> all the way back. And so... There were so many people who were coming to me saying, we want to tell your side of the story. And it was like, no, you don't. (laughs) You just want whatever little snippet you can use for whatever it is you're trying to do. And so I decided, I think it was around January, February last year, to every day release a day from my diary. And no matter how embarrassing the things I was thinking or doing or saying were at that point in my life, it was out there for the entire world to judge. You want to judge me? Judge me on what really happened. And in there, I detail everywhere that you can verify it. You know, like I was at this address. You know that because I have this light bill from that address. And I have this court case and you can pull the the entire conservatorship files and prove to yourself what was really happening. So that's at um, youtube.com slash Carol Baskin. And I've been asked to write a book, but I 
I've held off on that because I feel like my story is not over. I'm either going to end the abuse of big cats in captivity or they're going to kill me, at which point either of those, then I'm done, but I'm not done until then. Oh, I don't know how to feel about that statement. That That's a very, I mean, that's a sad statement. Do you, do you really genuinely believe that? I think that? they only caught the dumbest one of the people coming after me. The other people who want me dead are so much smarter, so much more politically connected, so much more capable of catching me off guard in some way than Joe ever would have been. So I, I live with that daily. But ultimately, at the heart of all this, like some people couldn't live with that and they would just change, they would just move away, change direction, change their job. But you are, you live and breathe cats. You are so passionate that even the thought of losing your life does not stop you wanting to fight for their lives. It's, it's, it is such true love really, isn't it? Well, thank you. I really do love cats, but you know, it's part, part probably because of my philosophy that I just have to start over. check out in this life. I just got to come right back into this and fix this problem again. And you go through that whole learning process. And so I'm so far ahead of the ball right now. I just got to stay in it long enough to fix it. Yeah. Well, one of the other things I did hear about you, a little fun, fun rumor, uh, was that you're appearing on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. So I wondered if that rumor is true because you certainly seem like you could handle it no problem. You know, we've heard in this episode how resilient you are. So is that something you're going to be doing? I don't know how that ever got started because I strive toward veganism. And the whole concept of that show is to get people to eat live animals. And it's like, there's no vegetable you're going to offer me that's so gross that anybody's going to want to see that. So (laughs) they would never even offer me a, a, a role like that. I I wouldn't think. That has squashed the rumor firmly. <laughs> You're not going to be eating no. any tarantulas anytime soon. Dead or alive. <laughs> Thank you so much. You have been so extraordinary. I've really enjoyed speaking to you and I'm really looking forward to more projects from you and, and finding out more about you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. And your voice is just so calming. Oh, oh really? <laughs> oh, beautiful. Oh, thank- my husband doesn't say that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Casey Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.